Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Lucas Bewald. Lucas is the CEO and co-founder of Weights and Biases. If Lucas's name sounds familiar, that's because we uh, spoke last on the podcast in August of last year, 2019, episode 295 on managing deep learning experiments. Uh, Lucas, welcome back to the Twimble AI podcast. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's awesome to be back. Uh, folks that are listening may not be able to tell. Probably they can't tell, but we're experimenting with uh, doing video more and more for these interviews. And so Lucas and I, who always have a fun old time when we get together in person, are now having a even more fun old time because we can see one another. So if we're uh, giggly, you know, that's what it is. Uh, but Lucas, if folks want to catch your background, they can check out that episode and we'll link to it in the show notes. But uh, what have you been up to since uh, since last August? I know one big thing has changed for you. Well, I had a baby. <laughs> yeah, that definitely has uh, changed my life and priorities. Um, maybe more, you know, work relevant. We've been, you know, keep we keep you know, working on improving the product. And, um, you know, I think one of the reasons I wanted to to talk to you and come back on your show is, you know, we we just recently put out a, a new product called uh, Weights and Biases Artifacts that we're super excited about. Yep. And that's uh, what we'll spend our time talking about. You know, tell us a little bit about the problem that you're trying to solve with artifacts. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, you always have such good what do you call it? Like you have such good diagrams sort of like laying out all the different pieces in the industry. I kind of, I'd love to know how it exactly fits into to your diagram. It's always insightful to see that. Um, but so we, I think you're referring to the the ebook, Definitive Guide to Machine Learning Platforms. Uh, and I broke out kind of, at least my view of the ML tooling and platform landscaping into data acquisition and management, experimentation uh -huh. and uh, model development, and then model deployment and management. And so I would think, is Artifacts in the the middle of those two or the last of those two, or does it straddle? Well, I think it might kind of straddle. So let me sort of tell you the problem that we were trying to solve, and you, you tell me how we should how we should position it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, so, so basically what happened was our experiment tracking platform, I mean, you know, we feel super proud of it. It's been really popular. It's had faster growth than anything that I've been a part of. And so... You know, we're constantly asking our our users, you know, like, what else do you want? Like, what is this, you know, what does it feel like it's missing? And the biggest request was, um, you know, from our users, like, well, look, like, you know, this is tracking um, all the experiments I do, and I can compare all the models I build. Um, but in reality, there's kind of other things that are really important for me to track. Like, I want to track my, my data sets, and I want to track the models. And I also kind of want to, in some cases, like, connect um, steps together in kind of like a, a pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we build artifacts as um, like in a, an adjacent product that's that's separate because we think that, you know, we want to keep our experiment tracking a really tight point solution that's really good. But we also want to make it really easy to kind of track, you know, more things that, that you might care about. And, and, you know, the main things, like I said, are, are probably data sets, models and um, and pipelines. It's important to note, I think some people kind of compare us with like or have, have like looked at my my overview and they say, well, how is it? 
different than something like Airflow that like manages pipelines. And I think it's important mm -hmm. to say it's really different, right? It, it just tracks it. So it, what, it, what it would do is like, you know, say you, you know, you have some uh, set of data and you um, do some transform on it and then maybe you train a model and then maybe you like, you know, test that model on a couple different data sets and then maybe you, you know, do some quantization and then you deploy it. Um, what uh, WMB artifacts would do is it would basically save all those steps and save the fact that they're all um, connected together. So, um, you know, it sounds a lot like management. Is the management? It's it's model management. Well, no, it's a difference that you're not um, the state machine or the the graph. You're not managing that. You're not standing that up. They need an Airflow or Luigi or something else that is actually tracking the state of all the objects in this pipeline, and you are kind of doing what you, something similar to what you did with the experiment management product where you're, you know, capturing metrics of things as they move through this process. Yeah. And saving it. Right. So, you know, if you want to save something like your data set um, or your model, we make it really easy for you to save it and version it. Um, but then what a lot of our users asked for is, Hey, we just want to track it. We don't want to necessarily like, you know, upload these gigantic files um, to your servers. Like we have them in a bucket somewhere. We have them on, on prem. Um, and so, you know, we let you, um, you know, save a pointer to those things, um, if you want to. So, um, you know, I think, I think model management and data set management, um, is maybe the best way, um, of thinking about it. I mean, I think what, what I know for sure is that, um, you know, everybody's asking us for this, so it must be, <laughs> if it's not a category now, I think it's going to become, um, a category. And there's certainly lots of tools that, you know, there's lots of tools that do pieces of this. And in, in some cases, like, you know, have are more ambitious than this. And it's really important to us that we work nicely with all these things. I mean, you have this, such a great dichotomy of sort of like, you know, sort of end-to-end -end platforms and, um, you know, point solutions. And, and you know, one of our, our real core values at Weights and Biases is to be, you know, a set of interoperable point solutions that do kind of one thing really well and play nicely um, with all the things around it. Let me try to put that together. The kind of core problem that you're trying to solve here is you you come at it from the perspective of, again, experiment management, where you had folks using your tools to track different experiments that, that they were running as part of their model development process. But you found that that component was used as part of a pipeline uh, where they were getting data from somewhere. They would run it through multiple, some series of transformations uh, and then ultimately run an experiment. Um, and folks wanted to track more of that process so that, um, yeah, I often uh, talk to folks that are trying to do um, kind of providence, solve the, this data providence problem or, or decision providence, even where you've got a model that makes an inference and you want to uh, kind of go all the way back from that inference, the decision to you know, the model that was deployed, you know, the, the experiment that said that that model was the best model, the data that, you know, started in a training set that, you know, allowed you to train up that model that won and, you know, the data points that influence, you know, ultimately the data points that influence this decision. And it sounds like mm -hmm. you're trying to solve more of that problem than you were doing before. Yeah. And I think like, you know, um, there's lots of really like interesting, you know, pain points here that people talk about all the time, like, you know, model explainability and model reproducibility. And those are obviously, they're, they're like huge problems. But I think like the, 
the sort of core thing that that we see a lot of our users struggling with is just literally knowing what data set the model got trained on and what data set actually or what model actually got deployed into production. So so that's like the core focus we have. Like, you know, we work with um, you know, we work with a couple of companies that do, you know, kind of retail and are trying to build systems that, you know, automatically, you know, can like detect like, you know, what you're buying as you walk out like the Amazon store. And and you know one of the things that those companies all have in common is they're like constantly getting new label data, right? Because they have you know cashiers in their store that are la labeling the data live, and they often have okay. they always have new products coming in, right? And so what happens with them is that they really like never train the models on the same um, data set, right? So it's actually like every single time it trains, it's sort of like a different basket of stuff that the models get um, trained on. And so, so not just incremental growth of their training data set, but there it's just different. It's just that, well, yeah, actually in that case, it's incremental growth. I'll say okay. other customers we have actually have the opposite thing where it's not incremental growth, it's actually shrinking. So, you know, some of our customers get um, kind of privacy takedowns, right? Where, you know, mm. people will say, um, actually one one company work that's talked about this is iRobot, right? Where, you know, people say, hey, take my data set out of, you know, an iRobot data set. And of course they do that, right? But right. then what happens is now you're, you're data set has, um, you know, slightly changed, right? So it's not exactly, um, you know, apples to apples, um, comparable, yeah. maybe, right? Maybe, maybe yeah. it's okay. But, um, but, you know, like, I think that the overhead, it sounds simple, maybe to, to track all that. Um, but the important thing is that you really, really have to do it, right? Like, you have to have a system where you're always tracking it in the same way. So that when you do this comparison, it's really easy to say, um, you know, which is which. And I'll say, like, another issue um, is like with our, you know, a ton of vehicle companies, they don't, they have actually so much data typically, mm -hmm. uh, that they, they never train on all their data. Right. So they're, they're actually, every right. time they build a model, they're like selecting pieces of it. Um, right. and they're often selecting different pieces, like to, for different purposes. So I guess like, you know, in some cases your data sets growing, in some cases it's shrinking. In some cases you're like picking and choosing from different, um, data sets. But in, in all these cases, um, you know, we think the really like core need here or the, the, need, the, the pain that we want to solve is just like, we will keep track of what um, data sets your, your model was trained on. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another like interesting thing, which is that, um, you know, data sets have these like pipelines where they might get modified and those pipelines can change, right? So, um, right. you know, with our medical uh, users, they often have really small data sets. Like, you know, some of our, you know, some of our medical customers, like they might say, we have this, we have big data. We have like 3,000, you know, but it's like 3,000, like, you know, like um, chest x-rays of somebody with like a horrible, uh -huh. disease, right? So it's like a kind of, you know, must have been like a huge feat, um, you know, to, to get that data. Um, and so like what they will do like a lot of um, pre-processing, right? Because every record is so precious, right? So mm -hmm. the the pre-processing steps almost become um, maybe more important than the the sort of like model architecture itself, right? So you know, it's really important for them to to track that. And we started to see, we started to see our users actually kind of, as an entrepreneur, this is like a real sign that, you know, you, you have a problem to fix, right? So we saw users sort of like, you know, kind of kludging together, um, you know, they're, they're sort of like chains of runs uh, or, you know, we call them runs, like experiments in our, in our tool. Um, and so now we've kind of made that with, with the artifact product, we made that like a first class citizen where you can say, you know, okay, I have these asynchronous, you know, steps that I do. Um, and it might be some, you know, complicated pre-processing and then a training. And then sometimes even, um, you know, like uh, in autonomous vehicles is what places that comes to mind, you know, the model that you train might not really be the model you deploy, right? Cause you might have to do like a whole bunch of 
um, you know, kind of shrinking of your model to like to get it to actually run. Um, mm -hmm. somewhere. So you might have like tests that you do on the model that got trained, but then you also have you know more tests that you do on the model sort of just before it's deployed. And these might even be like different teams doing it. So um, you know, connecting all these different steps um, in a sane way actually becomes like a you know I think a bigger um, a bigger problem than you might think if you're, you know, just like starting out, you know, training like MNIST, uh, you know, a couple of times. I'm curious to hear about the things that they were doing before to kludge it together. What did that look like? So I only use kludge with, with my own product because that's the only place that I, I feel like I can actually say for sure it's kludging, right? So, you know, <laughs> you know how it's supposed to be done, right? And using other products, maybe it's not a kludge, but, you know, they would use our product and they would just, um, I mean, you know, you could think about like you could just sort of like name things. And, I, mean, and I was envisioning like you know what the way you would see folks managing experiments by putting hyperparameters in file names. Like, is oh, it? Yeah. So no, a really common hyperparameter in weights and biases is like you know the the file name of the um the training data, right? And so um, you know, it's like that's a great thing. That so that's because people want to train their people want to keep track of their training data <laughs> yeah, and exactly. giving them a way to do it. Exactly, and we're, we're like telling people, hey use weights and biases because we don't think it's a good idea to use your um, file system as like an implicit record of, of what you did. Right? But then, you know, we're like kind of causing people to do that in some, um, in some cases. Right. So that, that, you know, so yeah, so, so, you know, you can use the file, you can use like a, a SHA, you know, the file, if you want to make sure that it, um, it doesn't change. And then there's like a whole bunch of, um, there was a whole bunch of like interesting tools out there that are like kind of always evolving and improving, right? There's like, you know, DVC and Pachyderm and Quilt that do, um, you know, really interesting takes on sort of data set um, versioning. And we've done, you know, light integrations um, with these tools to kind of make them work with what we have. And then, you know, end-to-end -end platforms, um, you know, if you really buy into let's, their- let's, let's pause there for a yeah. second. So you, we're doing the, so you saw folks doing the kludges indicating that they wanted a better track training data. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it sounds like also the light integrations and, and kind of joint customer work you were doing with the DVCs and pachyderms of the light and these other end-to-end -end platforms kind of indicated that I, I was actually going to ask about that. The, the DVCs and the pachyderms of the world are trying to, uh, that's kind of their, that's their world, right? They're trying to help customers better track the evolution of training data through transformation processes and, and up to up up to and in some cases including training. Uh -huh. Right. And so where do where does what they're doing end and what you're doing start? Or are they kind of overlapping? Like our our customers having to make decisions about, you know, which part of which product they want to use for uh, which part of the process? Like, it's, it seems like there's some overlap there that I'm trying to think. Oh through. yeah. So th like, there's, there's clearly some overlap and I feel like, um, there's probably, you know, like we're recording this when April, <laughs> April, 2020, <laughs> I have a feeling, you know, like, you know, June, 2020, the overlap, you know, could be more or less or different. Uh -huh. I feel super committed to making our product work with kind of all the best in class tools. It's like really, really important to me. So, you know, if, if DVC or, Pachyderm, you know, solved all the problems that the customers were having around this, you know, we, we would just, you know, let them and focus on experiment tracking. I think that the sort of thing that we keep finding is that, you know, it kind of reminds me of actually, um, 
uh, hyperparameter search, which we, we also didn't expect to roll out a hyperparameter um, search tool, but we kept, you know, we kept talking to customers and like, ah, like, I know I should be doing this, but you know, it's like, like, I can't quite figure out how to do it, you know? And so, you know, kind of our take was like, let's make hyperparameter search just so like simple. I mean, not necessarily easy and not like a toy, but just like make actually the powerful, like make it easy to make it work in a distributed fashion on lots of data and really reliable. That's sort of like our, um, you know, point of view is like, let's just like really make it, um, you know, like, like a solid product with like easy onboarding. And so kind of felt the same way with this data set versioning stuff where we would, you know, we were pointing people to um, these different products. And I think that they are, I think they have a pretty steep learning curve, honestly. I mean, it's not like a knock on them. These are really like, you know, it's kind of complicated stuff and it's hard to get it, you know, it's hard to make it like really easy to, to use. But I think like, that's where I think like, because we're like totally focused on making ML researchers and practitioners happy, I think weights and biases has a much more narrow, you know, scope here. Like we're, we're, you know, I think like, you know, DVC is, is like data version control, right? So it's like, there's actually yeah. a lot of different situations you might get into. And like, you know, they, they use like, I mean, they use Git and I, you know, I love, do I love Git? I don't know. I kind of love Git. I'm like a little. <laughs> we all I, love the idea of Git until we need to do something funky. I, I, graph. I imagine like 2021 Lucas just totally understands Git and you know, just like, but like 2020 Lucas kind of types in commands, kind of like feels a little afraid, you know? And, and so, <laughs> you know, I hope I'm not like positioning my tools like a tool for like idiots. I mean, it's a tool for, you know, ML researchers who want to do ML research, right? Not like, um, and we, we know that like some of them are really deep on Git, but we don't want to necessarily, we want to hide as much complexity as possible and solve the, the core pain point, which I think really here is. I think what you're getting at there is that the DVC and, and Pachyderm as examples are, uh, and some of the end the platforms, they're actually versioning the data and snapshotting the data as it transitions through a transformation process. And they can, you know, go to any point in time and any place in a, a process and allow you to see the data as it was transformed. And that's not quite what you're trying to do. Well, I just say, we do right, version right? it with- we you version, version the actual data itself well, as well? In a really simple way. We make copies of it and we save them. Right? So, you know, like, like, you know, that's why, again, like, you know, it's like we keep pointers to to different places your data was at. And we let you like split it into pieces if, we, if, if you think those are gonna change. But I think we are not as concerned with making like really kind of sophisticated diffing. Yeah, you know, the, the sort of thinking being that, you know, space is pretty cheap. And the, the really important thing is that people actually, you know, save this stuff. And, and we, we just said that's like our first. And if, if, you know, of course, if customers like really, really want like sophisticated diffing and that's like, you know, necessary, um, you know, we'll find a way to, to do it for them. But, you know, the product as it exists today, the idea is just like, you know, you tag every state of your data um, and and you can keep uploading it to us if you want to. Um, and of course, if you if you use the same exact data in two different places, we're not going to make two you know copies of it. But I think you know we're not like using Git in the back end. You know, for got example. It, got it. Got it. Yeah. So you referenced earlier is almost a, a I, I think I gave more energy to it uh, in the book, the definitive guide to ML platforms. It, it wasn't quite a throwaway comment or a footnote. I, I I spent some time with it in the last chapter of the book, but it was this idea. Um, that I propose of the wide versus deep paradox for machine learning, you know, platform and tool vendors. And this conversation is such a great example of it. Uh, the, 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 
general argument for folks that haven't um, taken a look at the book is that you've got these end-to-end platforms that are trying to kind of own the entire machine learning process at an enterprise. Um, and, you know, if you start from, from that perspective, you know, you can end up with a simplistic solution that really is just a workflow engine that's very shallow, you know, in functionality at any particular point. Mm-hmm. And then you've got specialist providers who, you know, any point in that end to end process have gone very deep. For example, weights and biases went very deep on experiment management as their initial play. And the, and the paradox, the paradoxical element of this was that end to end providers, you know, as we have seen, we've got a lot of end to end solutions. And, you know, without going deep in any particular area, that tends to get commoditized. Uh, and so they're getting kind of pushed to specialize or differentiate in in a slice or you know particular functionality, uh, and then with the narrow providers, the specialists, you know, they're going in, they're finding that you know customers have all these other gaps that they need to fill in order to get value out of the core product, and so they're being pushed wider. Mm-hmm. So you've got these two kind of sides kind of uh, converging in the middle perhaps, uh, or in different directions. And this is such a great example of that. Yeah. Like you started in the middle, you've got the the data side. I think you, you mentioned, uh, extending into the hyperparameter optimization piece. Uh-huh. Are you working on model deployment and management at all? <laughs> uh, we, we, we play with the stuff. We, we dabble. We, d- we dabble in the sense that I think like what, what I want, I mean, I, I feel like, what I want weights and biases to be no like what I want our, our take to be is like we want to make good tools for people doing uh, machine learning that they're actually going to use and 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 really want right so yeah. that's sort of like our 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 process is like you know we spend a ton of time with our customers and we ask them you know what do you need whereas I feel like you know um, I I feel like there's a surprising number of companies that it sort of seems like they have sort of like these grand plans that sort of make sense in a PowerPoint um, but then don't really fit what people want. So anytime there's sort of like, you know, a business strategy question and it's like at all in conflict with what um, customers are asking for, like I'm going to do what people are actually asking for, like, you know, 10 times out of, out of 10. And so that's why I think like, you know, we thought when we started, like look, this is just a point solution. You were just going to do experiment tracking, but then people are like, you know, I, what I really want you to do is actually, <laughs> you know, make a hyperparameter search thing for me. So we, you know, we did. And then, and, and then we were like, okay, what are they really asking for? Um, you know, they're absolutely like, you know, everyone is focused on just like, I want to be able to keep track of my data sets and, and models. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, some people do ask us about, you know, production monitoring or like, you know, CI, CD for, um, you know, for machine learning. I, I think this stuff is really interesting and cool. Um, and I don't think those problems have been been solved yet. So I'm like intrigued. I'm intrigued by those directions, but I want to make sure that we do um, well. And I also want to make sure that we are like everything we do, you can pick and choose it. Cause I, I guess like, I really don't think in the end that these kind of all in platforms are going to be long-term successful. Like I think that, um, you know, right now people are confused. I think a lot of VPs are just like, look, just come in and solve all my ML problems at once. And that like feels um, really good. But I think the practitioners don't like them because they don't feel like they're learning transferable skills. And so I think it's, it's actually hard to attract the best talent if you are using, um, you know, the, something that doesn't like work with other tools. And I think at the end, like what companies actually really care about and should care about is getting the best talent. And so I think you have to make, um, 
tools that make people feel like they have like, you know, are learning like a transferable skill um, to other companies. And I will say there's a natural like difference in go to market too, right? Where, um, you know, if I was selling an ML platform, you know, I would go into CIOs and I would go to, um, you know, VPs of uh, machine learning. What do they call it? These days, I feel like you have like chief AI officers and, and things yeah. like that. Um, and it's funny, you know, I, I guess I like, you know, these days, you know. Has anybody, I, is that Chow? Has anybody coined that? That's awesome if they did. Didn't is it? Doesn't I think Apple, the eyes Apple, were. Like John Jandreas and he. I don't know. I, I I think definitely. I'm telling you, somebody out there is that. And then like I, you know, funny is like my network is getting more and more senior, and I'm getting um, you know, people are like introducing me to these people. It's like I don't I don't want to yeah. talk to them. You know, like I just want to like talk to the people you know actually making stuff and and um, you know, get them to want to use it first because that's like a yeah. bread and butter for the hardest part about. Um, ML tools right now is is like actually getting people to use the tools because there's so many tools out there. That was part of the end-to-end argument that I was making as well is that the, these end-to-end platform providers, like in order for them to be successful, you know, they have to get folks to be willing to throw away any of the point investments they made, whether they were internally developed or, you know, they brought someone else in. Whereas uh, the, you know, specialists, would need to fill these. That's that was the other side of specialists filling the the gaps. Um, yeah, <clears throat> some interesting but stuff. I, in know, there. I wonder how you feel about this. Like I, so this probably happens to you all the time. But like every week, my investors are like, "What do you think about this?" You know, ML company. And like I, I already can predict like what the website's going to say. It's going to like list all the pain points in ML, right? And like uh-huh. I know them. You know, it's like reproducibility, um, explainability. <laughs> Um, you know, like maintainability, you know, it's like going to be like, we do ML ops and it's going to like, and, and I'm like, I can't evaluate this because I have like, no idea what this thing does. Well, <laughs> yeah, in, in the same book that you're talking about, I put a, uh, I included kind of a way to figure out uh, what a platform is really good at. And to me, really? it, it, what's <laughs> that? No, man, I'm sorry. I haven't, I didn't come across this. I, I really want to know. It's what, in that I, same section that you refer to. It's, it's basically where did they come from? Ah, yeah, it makes sense. Right. And so, you know, if you, if you, you know, if they came out of, uh, you know, data storage and snapshotting and now they've got a, an, an machine learning platform, they're probably going to be focused on the data side of things. Okay. It, but so not in our case. What's that? <laughs> you know, we're really good at tracking artifacts. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's true of everyone else. But, you know, so that was one of several criteria. but I, I agree. And that's a lot of the problem with, uh, I shouldn't say problem. That is a, a challenge with, um, that I see folks faced with when they're looking at these end end platforms is that they all talk about solving the same problems, you know, and, and workflow, uh, increasing innovation and cycle, you know, decreasing cycle times, increasing, you know, innovation in a number of experiments and, and without going deep in, you know, particular areas, it's really difficult for them to differentiate. I mean, I'll even give you an example. I mean, you probably can't say this stuff, but, but I can, you know, like when I, you know, (laughs) I remember when SageMaker came out and it was basically like a way to have like a nice environment to train your models in. And my friends told me it was the fastest growing, um, AWS product that they had seen, right? It was like, it was awesome. It like really solved this, this pain point that everyone had, everyone like, you know, really wanted to use it. And, and now I'm like baffled, like what, like what SageMaker does, like where where it begins and ends. Like, you know, honestly, you could, it might be useful for you to write a 
You know, guys, like we can like figure this out. But I feel like if I'm confused, the market must be just like utterly baffled because I'm I'm out there like every day talking to people, like using these tools, like thinking about it. And I I actually could not tell you, you know, where SageMaker be, begins and ends anymore. But I I would say to someone, if you want to quickly stand up an environment to run ML models, I bet you SageMaker is a good solution still. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think I don't think anyone who follows AWS is surprised at how it's evolved because, you know, if you've used AWS at all, you go to their services page and there's like a thousand different modules. Right. And, um, you know, they solve, you know, they're also very customer focused, but their strategy or and their strategy for doing that is to come up with a bunch of point solutions and allow folks to kind of string them together. And they've kind of done that with SageMaker and ML in general. And to some extent or another, for better or for worse, have taken a little bit of the Watson approach where the brand gets applied to everything, your many things. And it's like- Yeah, that's the one thing if Amazon, if you're listening to this podcast, it would really, <laughs> it, would, it would make my life easier if you just name them like different, different things. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Speaking of naming, so artifacts is called artifacts. Uh, right. We think why? Of, what is the artifact? You know, so the artifact is so it's, we think of it as a data set or model management um, product, and we call it artifacts. And the artifact here is essentially a data set or a model. I mean, it really could be like anything that you can think of as a file. Um, and we kind of thought we had thought of the name um, artifacts by ourselves. But then we looked at, you know, Google Pipelines actually calls the same thing that we talk about as artifacts, artifacts. And MLflow actually also talks about these things as artifacts. So it does seem okay. like everyone sort of independently, or we thought we invented it, but, you know, we were definitely not the first <laughs> to, uh, we have I mean, we, maybe the first that's calling the product that. <laughs> the first maybe to call the product that, but certainly we did not, you know, we did, you know, we saw, we, we were kind of intrigued to see that other people are calling it the same thing because I think like well, when I think of artifacts, I think first and foremost about the instantiation of a model. So mm -hmm. like when I would, you know, outside of this con the context of this conversation, when I ask folks about uh, the way they man managed artifacts, it would be model artifacts. Like some folks would, you know, pickle uh, a Python model and and store that. That was the the pickle file was the artifact. Yeah, yeah. Um, some folks would kind of you know, create a doc, would containerize it. And the container itself was the artifact for some folks, the artifact that they were tracking was a SHA, uh, Git SHA. Uh, yeah. And so I would ask that question to kind of understand, to understand, um, you know, what was the fundamental currency of whatever system that they were building? It sounds like for you, an artifact is, well, what is the fund? What are you actually tracking? It's uh, the, well, file that practically what we see people tracking, like practically what we see them doing is tracking usually data sets and models, right? So that's, that's what you should be like imagining. But are you tracking the data set or the model? Like, do you, is, do you, is artifacts a content management system that is taking files, putting them in storage, managing that, or is it, are you tracking pointers to artifacts? Both. And I think that's, what's key here. Right. Okay. So we do both and we also allow you to tag and version them. I and mean, that's like the big, that's the big, that's the infrastructure that we've built. Right. So we think that people in different cases might want to save these things on a 
third-party server and and might not want to, right? And and in fact, even you know we have an on-prem version of this, and even there, you might not want to move around like a petabyte um, data file. Um, but in some cases, you actually you know might want to do that just to make sure that it's like completely saved. So um, that's why I think a really important feature. It's just super important to our customers is to be able to kind of handle both cases where it's like you know maybe it's a pointer to a file or a pointer to a bucket or literally a file. And I think the other important, I mean, maybe this is getting a little in the weeds of the engineering, but um, I think the way that our users at least kind of conceive of it is like, you know, experiments have kind of like an input and an output typically, right? And the input might be some data set, say, and the output might be a model, right? That'd be like sort of the, the classic kind of experiment that, that, that we think of, right? Like a training, you know, an ML training run. And there the, the inputs and the outputs are actually artifacts, right? In our um, vocabulary, but mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we saw was actually there are other things that get generated. Well, there, I should say there's other types of experiments that you might run, like a, a data preprocessing step, right? So, you know, data preprocessing, it actually does have hyperparameters often, right? So like, you know, like maybe um, if you're doing like um, kind of image preprocessing, it might be how much you jitter, you know, the images or, you know, with words and like situation or, yeah, that, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, there the input artifact is like a data set and the output artifact is like a, you know, a modified data set. But I mean, you know, also, as you know, like sometimes in the course of training and like the real world, there's like other stuff that gets generated, right? There's like other files that, you know, might matter to you, like, you know, like profiling, like a huge kind of profiling data set or, um, you know, in the course of model training, right? Like, you know, so there's, there's all kinds of files that you that you might generate. And the idea is that um, in a way, one really nerdy way to think about this is like, you know, the the artifacts are like the nodes in the graph and mm -hmm. the runs or experiments are like the edges in the graph, right? So like you, you, we think of this sort of directed, um, you know, graph that usually starts with data sets and ends with like a deployed model and has all kinds of chaos, <laughs> you know, along uh -huh. the way. Um, you know, I'll say like one thing that's actually been surprisingly important to some of our um, users and it's kind of different than, so a lot of people would call this like a pipeline, right? Like, um, you know, I think people that, that do this uh, for production, they'd be like, okay, that's a pipeline. I think one difference about you know our artifacts or one design choice that we made is allowing people to change this type of thing on the fly, so you don't necessarily have to know exactly um, you know what you're going to do with your model. Right? You can you know you can make like a game time decision to be like okay I'm going to like run some extra experiments on it, um, and that's okay, right? So that's that's a kind of really common thing um, that we see. And in fact, you might want to like even look at as like a manager, you might want to be like hmm, like I have this data set. I just want to see like every model that got trained on it in my company. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually an easy thing for our tool to do now. If you're using our artifacts product, we can actually, because we, you know, everyone that uses it gets kind of tracked now. You can say, okay, here's all the people that use that data set. Or even, you know, you might, you might have a model that gets used by, um, you know, other models downstream of it, right? And so as long as like every model that's like training off the output of a different model, as long as they declare it, you know, you can actually visualize all that in your in your company. You were making a point earlier about um, the reason why you didn't like the terminology pipeline because it's more dynamic than that is is that analogous to like I'm envisioning programmatic access to this or predefined um, you know access where you've got some some pipeline uh, you know coded up and you're executing it versus, going in via the UI and, you know, running 
kicking things off manually, accessing files manually. Is, is that the distinction that you're making there? Well, no, I guess I, you know, I don't know that anyone really thinks. I, I just want to make sure that I think we made a design choice that, again, was just really informed by your requests from from researchers that we were working with. Mm-hmm. To let the the pipeline get defined dynamically, right? So like, you know, production pipelines, you tend to just sort of like set them and run them and then you might make a new production pipeline. Whereas like our notion of pipeline, it's like maybe a little bit more like realistic kind of real world notion where it's just sort of like that graph and that graph you can keep, that graph can keep changing. And it's not a UI thing. Like it's like, you know, you could, you know, you run things sure. at any point if you run a thing and you declare like, hey, I'm using data set XYZ, then in our product, at any point, if you look at data set XYZ and you, you query it for like, what's all the stuff downstream of that, you'll see all those runs. Um, that anyway. yeah. yeah, I think that was getting at uh, predefined versus ad hoc. Um, yeah. And it sounds like that's kind of the distinction that you're... Yeah, ad hoc, exactly. Exactly. It's not okay. predefined. Yeah. Got I hope it. I'm making sense. I feel like you, you, <laughs> you're better at explaining the stuff than I am. Yeah, uh, no, and so maybe <laughs> another question on that. So, but it, yeah. is the idea then that while you're not only tracking changes that happen as the result of a predefined executed pipeline, and you are allowing folks to do ad hoc uh, manipulation of the artifacts, that you are also tracking the things that they do to that they do ad hoc with the artifacts, and kind of they become those actions become part of the graph and thus part of the pipeline. Well, I want to make sure we I say one thing. So the artifacts. Am I messing this up? No, no, the artifacts themselves are immutable. Artifacts and are immutable. Artifacts are immutable. Yep. You can, I mean, you can make a new version of a data set, but you can't go back and change um, a data set in a way that that's like forgotten by our by our system. I mean, of course, if if all you stored is a pointer to a bucket and you delete the bucket, you know, we can't save you. (laughs) But um. But or if you change the bucket, you know, out from under you, you can't do anything either. Yeah, which is in our well, you can if you if you're if you're taking a shot of all the data in the bucket, then you could well, know. We could tell you that data's not there, <laughs> but that's about it, right? We could tell you if you know you recreated it perfectly with the shot, but otherwise, you know, we can't. Right. But I should say, like, you know, I think a core, you know, a core design choice, right, is the artifacts themselves are immutable. But what mm-hmm. you can add is like essentially like edges to this graph, right? So if you decide, like you built a model and you want to do one extra test on it, you know, before deployment, you can, um, you know, you can, you can basically do that run and that'll notify our system in the background that this is happening and we'll keep, we'll track that all for you. Is artifacts out? Is it, uh, yeah, folks using it? Yeah, folks are, folks are using it. We've been, um, I mean, it'll say we've been like kind of testing it on early users for quite a long time. So, you know, it's just coming out and, you know, I'm sure there are some bugs, but it has been, um, you know, beaten on a fair amount by, you know, by existing customers. We, we, we've really been trying to use the fact that we have a lot of users of our first tool to, um, you know, to kind of build it in a conversation um, with folks. Mm-hmm. And historically, and you correct me on this, but when I think of weights and biases and the experiment management tool in particular, in the broader context of experiment management, the focus was very squarely on deep learning as opposed to tabular data and kind of traditional machine learning. If that is in fact true, to mm-hmm. what extent does that focus kind of carry on to uh, artifacts as well? 
That's a good question. I mean, I think we designed it with sort of modern deep learning techniques in mind, but the line is not so bright, if you know what I'm saying. Like, we have a lot of customers doing, you know, boosted trees and, and um, you know, I think I actually, it's a good point. I think like, you know, for a lot of people that are doing kind of boosted trees at big scale, this this could be a really relevant, um, you know, thing for them. So I think like, I would say probably most of the users that we have today are doing um, deep learning or what you would call deep learning. Um, but I don't know. I'm not as so opposed, as opposed to what? <laughs> well, I'm not, I mean, first of all, I'm not so pure about this. I think, I mean, I mean, I think like XG Boost is like a awesome tool. It's like when I started my, you know, I said, well, I started my career before XG Boost, but I've, I've probably made more boosted trees in my life than anything else. Um, uh -huh. I also think Scikit-Learn is a beautifully done um, library that I use like all the time for just my own um, data analysis. So um, yeah, this is not about, about whether deep learning is better than anything else, but you said deep learning at, or what you would call deep learning. Is there a deep learning that like a super secret deep learning or a deep oh, learning no, no, no. I guess I mean, don't like, call uh, deep learning and other folks do? No, no, no. I, I mean like, uh, okay. thinking, yeah, yeah, sorry. I, I think about like, I mean, deep learning, you know, as you know, it's like kind of aspirational, right? So like, you know, sometimes we like enter a company um, and I really should not name names here, but like, you know, we'll come in because like somebody's like, oh, I got to do deep learning. I got to use like, you know, weights and biases for my deep learning thing. Yeah. But then most of the company is like using, you know, scikit-learn. And so they, you know, they pick up the tool and they use it. And I have no, you know, that's great. That's wonderful. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not elitist about this, you know. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I just honestly, I think it's probably like, you know, 80% of the people we're talking to are doing um, some kind of neural net. So it's, it's, okay. it's pretty that our, our, our like core user persona is, is doing deep learning. We're not going to ban you from our tool if you, uh, if you use non-neural net methods. And do you have folks or do you anticipate users that are using artifacts independent of experiment management? Or do you see this as a side dish to experiment management? Uh, I guess I view this as an adjacent product. So yeah, you can you can use this without the experiment management. But I'm really proud of our experiment management tool. And I would try to I would try to get you to use. Uh... <laughs> um, so I mean, right right now, it's I think the overlaps 100 percent because we've really targeted the people doing you know using our experiment management tool. Yeah. Uh, but you know, over time, that might change. Mm -hmm. I guess it's pretty similar to our, our hyperparameter um, sweeps. Um, is pretty deeply attached to our experiment management. So, you know, that's similar um, overlap. Although I think the the hyperparameter search and the artifacts is totally independent. You know, you, you could definitely, um, you know, use one or the other or, or neither. Mm -hmm. like what's the what's the onboarding or adoption process for, you know, what your your tool in particular, but, you know, more broadly, if, if folks want to, Kind of get you know more control and visibility into the way they're managing pre-training you know process and data mm -hmm. what do they need to you know how what do they need to think about and how close in general are folks to having thought about that stuff like do they need to do map out all their processes or does the nature of you know machine learning and data engineering mean that most folks already have what they need and they just need to kind of implement implement it into a product Oh, so how do you kind of get started with with this kind of tracking in general? Sure. Yeah. I so, so I guess like one the quote I thought you were gonna ask, which I will happily answer, is how you get started using you know the weights and biases artifact tool, which I as an entrepreneur I can't help myself but to tell you that um, and I was explicitly <laughs> trying not to ask that. Oh, oh. specifically trying to ask is 
is more general. And that is, you know, I guess we can start with if, if folks want to um, take advantage of uh, artifacts, uh-huh. is there thinking that they need to do about the way that they process data that they've likely not done before? Well, look, I think that people should only use software where they have actual pain points that they can articulate. So, you know, this doesn't happen very often, but it happens more than it happens occasionally. And I'm, I'm always kind of baffled by it where people are like, oh, I want to use your tool, but like, what does it do? You know, and it's kind of like, okay, you probably don't, don't want to use my tool then, you know, well, well, let me give you, let me give you an example of, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, business process management. Uh-huh. Right. It's a it's a similar space. It's like essentially, you know, you want to automate some workflow in your business. Maybe it's like order to cash or something totally. like that. Totally. And you may have, you know, 100 people doing it. You know, you documented the process 10 years ago. The process has evolved for 10 years. And now you really have no idea how, you know, at a top level, like how your orders are being processed. They bounce around the organization and the first thing that you need to do to actually implement that into a tool uh-huh. is to go in and understand what's really being done, right? Uh, what are right. the steps? What are the connections from one thing to the next? What are the exceptions that pop up? What are the rules that people are applying implicitly? You know, all of that stuff. And uh-huh. I'm you know, curious with this question, are there similar things that you run into where, you know, folks, you know, there are aspects of the way that their data is being used in this machine learning process that they haven't really thought about and need to kind of work out before they can implement something like this. Or, you know, it's just so, you know, it's all so new and they were doing something, you know, that was programmatic or rigid enough before that, no, they just need to point your tool at some stuff and it all just works. Yeah, it's interesting. It's actually a really interesting question because I think that you know, my last company was kind of closer to business process management, and you you had to buy into a lot um, to get it working. I think with this, um, you know, going going back to like what I was saying around like pain point, I think the, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't have to you don't have to have like the perfect setup or track everything to get the benefit, um, you know, from a tool like this. So like the I think the point that you would want to use a, a tool like our artifacts is when you're asking questions like our customers are asking, like, you know, do we really know exactly what data all the models are trained on? Or are we worried about, um, you know, like our data sets are changing and we're trying to track it? Are we worried that like, you know, the person who actually writes down what the different data sets are is going to leave and no one's going to be able to know like what they, <laughs> you know, what they actually were. Um, yeah. And so, um, and I would say that's actually the most common entry point is around um, data set uh, like worrying about data sets, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, like a, you could get like all that benefit um, by just uh, tracking the data sets and, and, um, and that is a fairly light instrumentation. It's actually not quite as light as our experiment management, which we've really worked hard to get down to like under, you know, five, six minutes. Like this is like slightly more involved. Um, and, but the benefit is bigger and that you'll for now, for sure, like always know the data sets that got, you know, that, that you trained on. And then, you know, down the road, you may, you know, have another concern, which is like, you know, do I really know, you know, like my models deployed into production, you know, do I really know exactly what, what happened to them? Like, do I know like what the pre-processing was? And now you can, you know, save the model and you can, you know, start to save pipelines, but you don't have to, it's not like you have to, you know, buy into a huge process to get the benefit. I think unlike other like sort of organizational things that, that teams do, this is really like, um, this is really some, I, in fact, I would like, 
kind of encourage teams to adopt it one step at a time versus like trying. I mean, there's something about like, I think actually maybe it's that ML is like sort of less, you know, understood exactly what all the best practices are. Like, you know, my recommendation is always oh. something working end to end, you know, and then iterate and improve it. And, um, you know, part of improving it is, is getting better tracking and, um, you know, getting more organized. And I think that's the point where, you know, artifacts would, would make sense to you as a, as a, as a product. And is there a common pattern that you saw or that you um, can envision for folks that, you know, aren't ready to move to a full on, you know, tool to do this, but, you know, we'll get them part of the way from nowhere. Like what's the, what's the half step or the. Well, okay. So there's some half steps that you really should, you can do. I mean, like if literally, you're not doing them already, you should be doing what you, well, I mean, this is, I mean, this is so dumb. I mean, but I'm, I'm like guilty of not doing this, but it's like, you know, if you're creating your model on a data set, I mean, I don't know, like, I feel like when I have data sets, right, I start, I mean, I start naming them like, you know, like XYZ latest and then like XYZ, like really latest, like really latest, you know, V2. Um, and it's like, you don't do that. You know? Like, um, you know, storage is actually cheap. Storage is cheaper than you think. And, you know, that stuff saves you a few seconds or, you know, a day in the short term. And it really bites you um, in the <laughs> the medium, the short to medium term. I mean, you know, I think anyone listening uh, that, that's trained models will kind of understand that. And I think like, you know, like, I mean, you can make a spreadsheet and you can, you know, you can be organized about, you know, all the model files that you have and like what they are and what happened to them. And, you know, I think like most, I mean, most people that we talk to are doing some form of this because it's not like it's not like a brilliant insight that we had that, you know, you should be organized about your training. Right. So I think most people find some way to do this. And I think like most experienced ML practitioners, as they, you know, gain more experience, they get more and more, um, you know, kind of paranoid and organized about, um, you know, about this kind of thing. So I think where things like really break down is like, um, I just, I don't know. I just remember my first job, um, there was like this file, like we had like this file, it was like all the features that we had. And for some fucking like- The TPS file. Oh man, I remember that all the features were named like, it like it was like as though, like there was some limit on the number of like letters you could put in the the column name. You know what I mean? So they were like, it would like literally be like five letter, you know, five letters and then like a number, you know? And like, and it yeah. was like, um, and someone made like a wiki page of like, what they meant but it, like they were kind of wrong you know because it wasn't like the person that like made all the features it was like someone who like kind of tried to figure it out you know like and yeah. um i mean i don't know like that i mean that, that's like where we ended up you know it's like you know this is at yahoo in in 2006 you know like building and it was like you know the, this was like billions of dollars it was like the relevance engine you know back when yahoo served like a ton of search traffic so it was like it was no joke like we wanted it to be good um uh -huh. you know but it's just it's so natural that like you know, one person like makes this thing and it's like obvious to them and they don't document it very well. And then, you know, when they leave and another person picks it up, they don't even really know like what, you know, what's going on. So, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, documenting and saving is, uh, is a really good idea <laughs> regardless of whether you use, uh, you know, my, my product or not. And so we've talked a lot about, uh, data that comes from files. What about data that you're training on that comes from queries or a data warehouse or something like that? Well, I think typically that's a that is a good question. I think like you know typically people what we see is that people are like kind of taking chunks out of a data warehouse, um, and then you know so kind of files. Yeah, like turning into a file before the um, the training happens. I suppose that's not always the case. We don't really support well a case where you're like 
only streaming in. I feel like my team's going to kill me for saying this. I don't think we support that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, that's probably something we, we should do at some point. I think the. Um, I'm thinking of folks like uh, Airbnb as an example that has uh, Zipline, which is a feature store that'll do like point in time backfills of data and allows them to pull out features directly out of a, a data warehouse. They may stage that on a disk somewhere. I don't know. But I'm imagining there may be situations where, you know, it's so dynamic, they're pulling directly uh, from a data warehouse to train. Yeah, it's a good point. And we do work with a fair number of people that a common pattern that we see is there's like a query that happens from like a much larger thing before your model trains. So that's why I think that's maybe that's why this word artifact is like better than file, right? Because it could be like a pointer, you know, to like a kind of. You hadn't thought of the the query thing, but your team has, and they've already. Oh been yeah, through. yeah. Well, you know, I was, I you know, I was trying to get my team to do this interview, and they're all like really shy. I don't know why. I'm like, they made this awesome product, and like, I was like, you guys like go, go explain it to Sam, but they're all like, you know, one agree to do it, and then they like backs out, and it's like, <laughs> come on, you know. <laughs> now that you've thrown your team under the bus, uh, I think we're done here. <laughs> Well, Lucas, thanks once again for uh, you know joining us, sharing uh, a bit about what you're up to with me and the listeners. And as always, it's great to catch up with you. Yeah, real pleasure, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, If you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.